Happy uh, Palm Sunday. Can we just take a moment to turn to one another and say happy Palm Sunday? I'm so happy to see you. Happy Palm Sunday. I'm so happy to see you. It's great to see you guys today. Uh, my name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors who's privileged to serve here at Mosaic. And, uh, you know, we're in this uh, Easter season, and it's always such a wonderful time to come back and just slow down and remember just the journey of our Lord Jesus Christ and his Passion Week and what he has gone through. And so we invite you to come out starting tomorrow through a Friday uh, to Consecrate Week, and we'll just take time to remember how much God has loved us and sacrificed on his journey to the cross and to his resurrection. So please come on out for that. So today, uh, we're taking a break from the book of Jeremiah to focus on the season of Easter. I want to begin by asking you guys a question, and then after you think of it, you can share with the person next to you, okay? So um, who is the most famous person that you have ever met? And when you met them, what was your response or your reaction, okay? So take a moment to think about that. And then when you're ready, just share with the person next to you. You know, let's have some interaction together. So go ahead and share with the person next to you. Go ahead. You can turn around. If there's someone not next to you, turn around and talk to the person behind you, you know, or in front of you. And let's uh, be interactive. Let's engage one another. Great, great. Just a, just a few more seconds to share. Get it in quick. All right, all right. Let's, let's uh, wrap it up. <laughs> you guys can share afterwards. Uh, share your stories afterwards. It's so interesting how you know, when we meet someone who we think is famous, how it kind of stirs up a response in us. Uh, back in the 90s, when I was a youth pastor, um, it was time for service, and I noticed that 75% of my students were not in the, in the worship hall. And so I know they were there because I saw them before service started, but they were not in the service. And so I looked at the other students that were there, and I was like, where's everybody? And they were like, oh, this famous K-pop singer, Korean pop singer, uh, from Korea, his name is Kim Won, I won't say the rest of his name, uh, Kim Won such and such, was, had come to church, was visiting church, and that's why they're all there, getting his picture and his autograph, and I was like, oh, I see, so I started to get a little bit upset, so I'm kind of waiting and waiting, and I'm not joking, I just, we're just, I'm just looking at the students, students look at me, I'm just waiting, just waiting, and then like 10 minutes into the service time, they walk in, and they're like talking to each other, ah! You know, they're, they're talking about what picture or the autograph. And then when they sat down, I said, guys, let me ask you a question. What did this guy, Kim Won blank, what did he ever do for you? And they're just like kind of quiet, like, what's going on, right? And I said, you know, the author of life, the creator of the universe, who came down and he gave his life for you, died on the cross, that you might be forgiven of your sins and have eternal life, he's right here. And you made him Wait. So I asked him, I said, what did this guy, Kim Won Blank Blank, what did he do for you? I said, you know, I don't know what you guys do throughout the whole week. You know, I have no idea. But if you're deciding that you're going to come to worship God, then doesn't God deserve your best? Doesn't he deserve your best? You know, all the kids' heads were like, hmm. <laughs> and I said, I love you guys. <laughs> and I went on to go preach. But interestingly enough, 
A few weeks later, he came back. Um, and all the kids were in the service on time. So I, I said to them, hey, what's going on? That such and such is here. And then the, many of the kids were like, it's okay. He, he's just a man. Like, oh, <laughs> good, good to hear that, you know. Um, yeah, so what we're talking about today is Jesus, King Jesus. Who, who is he to you? It's interesting how we will gawk and, and be so gaudy and oh, giddy around someone who's famous, who perhaps has done nothing for us, except maybe an entertaining song or a movie. Yet when it comes to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who gave his life, who's here every single day in that sense, with his arms open, how do we respond to him? I'm wondering if, if any of you in this room, when I asked, who's the most famous person you ever met, if you answered Jesus? Because actually that's what Billy Graham said. One day they asked him, Billy, Billy Graham, how, how do you know, Mr. Graham, that God is alive? And Billy Graham answered this, because I talked to him this morning. The king of the universe, creator of all, author of life, he comes to us today. What is your response? Who is King Jesus to you? So today we'll be taking a break from Jeremiah and we're looking at Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. If you have your Bibles, I just want to encourage you to take it out now. And I always encourage, I always carry around the Bible too, because, you know, as you're reading Scripture, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. There'll be things that will pop out, and it's great if you have a pen and a Bible or a journal, and just mark it so you can come back and study Scripture on your own. I pray that we are a studious well, believers in Christ, amen, not just receiving a word on Sunday and that's it. Hope that you will continue on. So if you have your Bibles, turn to it, Matthew 21, verse 1 through 11. And for those of you who are following along, you can also find the parallel passages in Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12, okay, to have a more fuller picture of this. So Matthew 21, verse 1 through 11. Now when they, Jesus and the disciples, drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them the, their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. God's word to us today. Please take a moment to look at that yourself. Try to picture yourself in the story and thereby making it more personal, more real to you. So I want us to picture it. As Jesus and his disciples are drawing closer to Jerusalem, the crowds begin to grow. Now, it's not just Jesus and the disciples that are going to Jerusalem. 
there is actually a massive group of people going. Because now this is the pilgrimage for the great festival that's about to happen in five days, known as Passover. It's where all of Israel comes to Jerusalem to commemorate the deliverance by God of the people of Israel from Egypt. And one of the great moments was when God said, take a a lamb that's one years old, spotless, sacrifice it, and take the blood and put it over the doorpost of your house. That when the angel of death comes, it will not touch you, but it will pass over your house because of the blood of the lamb. And God had performed such a great deliverance that Israel, for all the generations, is to remember this. And so there's already a huge crowd of pilgrims of Jewish people going to Jerusalem. So the crowds, as they see Jesus, they begin to chant louder. The praises increase. The celebrations become greater. Now what's so interesting is for the first time in Jesus' three years of ministry, he doesn't command the people to keep quiet. He doesn't command the people, shh, stop talking about me. You see, for three years before this, every time he did a miracle, he would always downplay it. Go show the priests what happened. When he fed the multitudes, everybody wanted to make him king. He says, no, and he left and went into a boat. He always downplayed his kingship, but now is the time. Now is the time he is going to declare his inauguration as the king. He is the one who has set forth this plan. It's not any of his disciples, not even the three, Peter, James, and John, that's always trying to vie for Jesus' right hand, left hand. None of them thought about this. It was completely Jesus' decision. It was his purpose, his plan to go forward. The only thing the disciples did was throw their cloak on the donkey's back so that Jesus could ride on it. Now, here's the thing. The disciples... They did want Jesus to be king this whole time. They did want Jesus to be Messiah this whole time. But it never happened the way they wanted it. And so now they're saying, it's finally here. We're going to Jerusalem. So it's a great celebration. Hundreds of people. But you know what? In the midst of all of it, it's a paltry celebration. It's actually quite pathetic. Think about the kings and the presidents and the rulers of the world who lorded over others. Think about their inaugurations. Think about their celebrations when they come into power. But what do we see of Jesus? No trumpets, no choirs singing in unison, no banners, no red carpets, no rose petals, or shiny armored soldiers holding their swords. There's no officials in their royal pomp that greet him on the way. There's no people, people of city standing that come up and say, King Jesus, this way, this way, to the palace. No. Jesus instead, of people coming to him, what does he do? He comes to us. He's always the king that comes after us. Even when we ignore him, even when we disregard him, he's always the one that's coming to us. Behold, O daughter of Zion. Your king comes to you humbly and gently. This is the king that we serve. And instead of these wonderful displays of kingship, what does he have? He has a dirt road with the the cloaks of lowly, ordinary people. And what do they do? They cut off branches from a tree and they laid it down. Ladies in here, what if the guy that supposedly says he loves you comes and gives you a flower and you're like, oh, where'd you get it? Oh, I picked it off your front porch right here. What would you say? What a pathetic 
paltry display. <laughs> Yet Jesus is coming this way. He comes so humbly. He comes so meek. In fact, Jesus would have it no other way. When he first came and was born on earth, he was born and placed in a manger. His first visitors who were who? Shepherds. You see, our king is the meek king, the humble king. He would have it no other way. In fact, he is the very fulfillment of Mark, of Matthew chapter 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is our Jesus. And his inauguration is not like the kings and the presidents of this world with all the high officials. Who does he welcome? He welcomes the lowly. He welcomes the broken. He welcomes the weak and the sick. He welcomes all. As we were uh, talking in our staff meeting, one of our staff members said that one of the most famous people they saw was at the airport. And when they saw him, he shouted out, hey, blah, blah, that's the guy's name, blah, blah, I love your music. And blah, blah turned back and goes, great. But as they're walking out of the airport, he says, can I take your picture? And entourage is like, no, 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 you can't, you can't, get back. But look at the king of the universe, the holy one, the author of life, welcoming them, welcoming you. Broken, lowly, sinful, weak, welcoming us. Would you behold, would you behold your king? I'm convinced that, that 90% of all the things that we struggle with internally and fears and anxieties, if we would just take time to behold our king, many of those things would just vanquish in the light of his glory, his majesty. This, this, this Passion Week, would you take time to behold your king? So what we see now is as he's coming, there's this crowd, and we hear that there's chants of Hosanna coming from the crowd. But it's not everybody, right? There are many different opinions of who Jesus is. And you can read it again, I said, like in Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. Let me just throw out some of the people in the crowd to you. There are... Some who throw their cloaks and their branches down on the ground. And so obviously they believe that Jesus is the next king in the lineage of King David. And they believe that now that Jesus is here, he is going to change everything. Everything is going to be different in Israel because of Jesus. There are those. Now there's also some, as we read today, who are completely unaware and unsure of who Jesus is. The only reason that they come is because there's a stirring in the city when Jesus enters. Like, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, this guy Jesus here. Oh, let me go check. So there's people who are unaware and unsure. There's also people there who make some heartfelt statements, but they're confused. When the city people ask, what's going on? Who is this? What do they answer? This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. That's a nice, noble title, but you don't... Throw cloaks and palm branches for prophets. You only do this for kings. So even though it may be well-meaning, the title they give to Jesus, they're confused, actually. And of course, we have the disciples. The disciples are confused because they have seen Jesus in all his miracles, in all his teachings. They have seen how Jesus has healed the sick and cast on all these things and how Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities I'm going to be crucified, but I'll rise again on the third day. So they're witnessing all these hundreds of people singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, and they want Jesus to be king, but at the same time, Jesus is saying, he's going to die. This doesn't make sense. 
So the disciples are confused. And also there's a bunch of authorities who actually do believe that Jesus is the king, but they don't say it because they're afraid of the Pharisees. They, they might get kicked out of the synagogue because they follow Jesus. So they keep quiet. So though there are various opinions of who Jesus is, the important question comes to you and I. Who is King Jesus to you? Who is King Jesus to you? Though there's many different varying opinions, one thing all of them have in common is this. They are in an undesirable situation. You could even say they're in a place of despair. So despairing that they cry out, Hosanna. That is a Hebrew word which means save now. Not tomorrow, not later. Save now! It's actually an interjection part of speech, which means it conveys meaning, but also emotion. So when they see Jesus, they say, save now! It's a joyful shout, but coming from a place of despair, great despair. And the despair they feel is that for a century and a half, Rome has oppressed, attacked, and taken over Israel. And with the whole imperial rule, everything has changed. Cultural practices, religious practices, financial systems, money looks different. Life looks nothing like it's pictured in the Old Testament under King David. When King David was ruling, they defeated the nations. Now they are defeated. They look at their own nation's ruler, King Herod, and he is all about power and money. They look at their religious leaders. They are corrupt and controlling. They look at their fellow Jews. We're all poor and struggling. And what it could feel like is God has abandoned us. We are left to our own. But all of a sudden, Jesus comes in. And they begin to sing, Hosanna, save now. Everything is going to change. Everything is going to change. Again, what is your response? Who is King Jesus to you? Now, here's the thing. Even though they're saying, save now, what are they asking to save now from? What are they asking Jesus to be king of? This is a really important question. Because they're saying we're in despair. We don't like our situation. There's something broken in us and in our community. Save now. But from what? Their real despair is not in the government and its policies, but in the governing of their own hearts. You see, their greatest enemy isn't the Roman government or corrupt religious leaders or their financial struggles. Their greatest enemies is Satan, their sins, and death. What they really need is not to be saved from the Roman government. What they really need to do is be saved because of their sin and their rebellion from the judgment of God. That's what they really need. And Jesus has come to give to them a right relationship, a restored relationship with God. You see, the people of Israel, when they were shouting Hosanna, they wanted a political king. They wanted a financial king. They wanted a king who would overthrow the Roman government and reestablish the Israel nation. But what difference would that have made? I want us to play this out a little bit. Okay, play this out. Let's imagine that Jesus does come and he just becomes a political king. What will happen? He'll probably start to institute some just laws, right? Maybe even things like, from now on, every salary you get, 10%, you got to give it to the church. Okay, 
And then another 10%, I want you to give it away to charity. Okay. And another percent, I want you to give it away to somebody in need that you know. Okay. I don't know if I like this king too much anymore. And what ends up happening is if you have a political king, they can enact laws, but does that change your heart? And what Israel, the people of Israel is, they actually want to replace one tyrant with another tyrant who will give them the right and the might. But what they really need and what we all really need, yes, it's good to have good government policies. Yes, I understand that. It's good to have good financials. I understand that. But what we all desperately need is a transformation of our hearts. What we really need desperately is the king of kings, not to just be a lawmaker, because I think that some of us in this room, Jesus is your king, but he's only your lawmaking king. Okay, I go to a church on Sunday. Okay, I should be good. So you follow policies, you follow laws, but he's not your king. He's not your king that's enthroned in your heart. Because if he's your king enthroned in your heart, when God says, I want you to forgive that person, and you're like, oh, it's hard. And then Jesus says, remember, I've forgiven you every single day of your life. Yes, Jesus. It's not because it's a written law policy. It's because the law of God is written on your heart, right? That's how nations are changed. That's how people are changed. You know, Rome... Uh, during the, the early church, they had no policy to care for the poor. It wasn't until mid-200 AD that they began to change the laws. Do you know why? Because they saw the church caring for those who were thrown out. They saw the Christians taking people who were sick, bringing them in, nurturing them. They got healthy, and the Christians got sick and died. And as a result, more and more Romans were becoming Christians and following Christ. And so the Roman secular government says, guys, we need to do something. Let's change our policies and tell people to be more generous. It didn't work. Because you cannot policy a transformed heart. But the believers in Christ, because Christ had come in and is enthroned as king, they're able to say, Lord, everything I have is yours. Who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to show mercy to? Because you have loved me and given me mercy. And therefore, all of Rome was transformed. That's what happens when you and I, we allow Jesus to become king. But unfortunately, all the people of Israel at that time, all they wanted was a political king. A king who would overthrow the Roman government. A king who would make us prosperous and give us peace. In other words, what they wanted was a little KJ, a little King Jesus. They didn't want the big KJ, the true King Jesus. And brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing and we'll actually miss the very king who comes to us to be with us. Not just to give us a bunch of rules and regulations. We miss it. The king who's come for them to save them of their sins, to grant them eternal life, and to be at peace with God forevermore. This is his kingdom. But sadly, what happens oftentimes is what we do, instead of saying, behold, your king, we often do this. What? Behold, your, apostrophe, A-R-E, right? Your king. It doesn't say that. Behold, your king. He is the king. And because Jesus comes into our life, and because he comes in such humility and compassion, when we look at his life, what we'll see and notice is that he's so much different than every other king and every other president and every other ruler and every other famous people. What makes him so unique besides his humility and compassion? I want to give you two things that makes him so unique and so worthy of all our worship and trust. 
Number one is this. His words and promises never fail. When Jesus speaks and makes a promise or a command, he always accomplishes what he says. Remember, as we read today, Jesus tells two of his disciples. It doesn't say the names, but let's just imagine it's Peter and John. And says, Peter and John, I want you to go to the village ahead of us. And as soon as you enter, you'll see a donkey, the mother donkey, and her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If, someone, if they ask you, why are you doing this? Just tell them the Lord needs them. And they will send it at once. Now, I don't know about you guys, but donkeys are super precious to the people of ancient Israel. They are not like all over the place. It is their beast of burden, plus it is their mode of transportation. It's actually very valuable. But not only that, the colt is even more valuable because a colt, you have to train for years on how to be ridden. You have to really take care and train them properly. So this is like, in modern day terminology, this is like a brand new SUV with zero miles. That's what it is. So could you imagine Jesus saying, go to that town next to you, and you're going to find a brand new SUV. Bring it to me. So here's Peter and John thinking, I can't believe Jesus. Like, he just wants us to go to a town and <laughs> just get the donkey. Like, who, who, who's going to give? And all of a sudden, hee-haw, hee-haw. Oh, snap. There's a donkey and the colt. Okay, let's just, let's just obey. Let's untie it. And they start to back up the donkey. Beep, 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 you know. And the owner comes like, what are you guys doing? Uh, the Lord needs them. Oh, yes, go ahead. Take it right away. You know, I can just imagine the disciples going, <laughs> why are we surprised? This is what Jesus does all the time. He tells the unclean spirits, come out, and they go. He tells the storm, be still, and it's calmed. He tells the man who's paralyzed from birth, get up, pick up your man, and walk. And he gets up, picks up his man, and walks. He tells Lazarus, who's been dead for four days, in the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. And what he says, he accomplishes. Who is a king like him? Who is a leader like him? Who is trustworthy like him? How many people have we seen in leadership falter and fail, never fulfilling their words? But Jesus is a king like no other. A leader like none other. Absolutely trustworthy. But not only does that set him apart, what sets him apart also is how he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. The prophecies that are prophesied in the Old Testament is found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and in that time. Notice here, Zechariah 9.9, the passage we read, you saw that little quote there. It comes from the minor prophet Zechariah. He's, he's not minor because he's, he's small or he's young. It's minor because it's a little bit shorter book, right? So the prophet Zechariah prophesied between 500 to 465 B.C. That's 450 years before Christ came. And he prophesied this in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Spirit of God, prophesies this. And Jesus fulfills it. In fact, if you ask, some, some scholars say that over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. Some say there's more, some say there's a little bit less. But around there. What does that mean that one man in one period of time fulfills those scriptures? You see, that's why the Bible is so different than any other so-called religious book, the, the Koran or, or the books of Buddha. It's so different because you have prophecy that's actually fulfilled. 
There's a man by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner. He was the chairman of the departments of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College. He's very passionate about math, also very passionate about scripture. And so what he did was he said, let me see what it statistically looks like if, if I just take eight prophecies of the Old Testament, just eight, not the 300, just eight of them, and see the prob- probability of one man fulfilling this at one period of time. So he does the, the calculations with 600 other students. He got other students to do this, you know, uh, what do you call it? Stuff, right? Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't, uh, it's going to bother me. That. So he does it. And this is what he comes up with. The probability of one man in one time accomplishing just eight prophecies is this. It's one times 10 to the 17th power. That means 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Can you imagine that number? You can't, right? So he goes, let me give you an illustration. Imagine you take the state of Texas, and you get a silver dollar, which is about this big, and you get 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, and you fill Texas, you will have it two feet deep over the whole state of Texas. That's 10 to the 17th power. Now what you do is this, the probability of one man doing this, you take one silver dollar, you put an X on it, and you throw it into Texas, and you mix it up, and then you blindfold the man, and you say, now find that one X on your first try. What's the probability? Pretty much impossible. But it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. He is the fulfillment. This is why he stands out. And this is why scripture is telling us, behold your king. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, all throughout this week, continue to behold your king. I want to close with this last statement. Jesus' inauguration, him riding on a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. By the way, him, walk, him riding on a donkey is a sign of peace as he's entering into the city. It's a sign of triumph. It's coming in. That's what kings would do when they enter in victorious into their city. His character of humility and compassion towards us is being dis- dis- displayed, demonstrated. We see how he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. We see how when he speaks, it happens just like he says. Now, all these events and the crowd shouting Hosanna, all these events are wonderful and they're great, but it does not make him king. It's actually incomplete. His kingship is incomplete unless, unless there is the historical, factual evidence that he dies on a cross And three days later, he rises again from the tomb. Unless there is that, all of this actually has no meaning. Because if Jesus is dead and in a tomb, what did this whole inauguration do? Nothing. What is he king of? Nothing. What did he triumph over? Nothing. But we know from history and from scripture that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, that tomb is empty. And Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He has ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He has conquered over sin. He is victorious over death. And he holds life in his hands because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Behold your King. Behold your King. 
I pray that in the next couple of days as we celebrate the Passion Week, that you will take time to remember the King who's come to us. Today, He comes to you. He comes to you gentle and humble, coming to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to redeem you to a right relationship with the Father. Now, I want to say this last thing before I close. When Jesus came the first time, He came very humbly, very gently on a donkey. But Revelations 19.11, you can write this down. Revelations 19.11 tells us that when Jesus returns, he's not going to return on a donkey. He's going to return on a white horse, a blazing white horse. Now, what does a white horse represent? That's a commander. When he enters into a defeated nation, he comes in on a white horse. And so when Jesus comes back the second time, he's coming back being called the faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. When he comes back the second time, it's not going to be in gentleness and humility. It's going to come in power and authority. And I hope that we would have the heart to actually kneel down and bow now and say, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I hope that we do that now and not wait till then. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who have receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, as our King, we really can joyfully shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We can really say that because we now belong to the King. But for those of you who don't have Jesus as your King, I pray that you will receive his welcome invitation now as he comes to you humbly and gently. Let's pray together.